0: I'm trying to decide, actually. This is why I'm pausing so long. I'm trying to decide, do I share some of the thoughts that I've been having about the next verses in Colossians, or do I go completely off script and talk about something else? And Usually when I feel that way, what happens is, whatever I try to do, the thing that's big in my heart comes out anyway. So uh, we'll see where this goes. Here are the next verses in Colossians. Children... Always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. This is the word of the Lord. So every single one of us came from somewhere. We were not made in a factory. We had some kind of upbringing, whether it was in a loving family or an unloving family, or in foster care or an orphanage, somehow we had an experience of early years, formative years, shaping forces that have had a dramatic influence on the person that we are today. Either learning on purpose from it, or learning accidentally from it, or living in reaction to it, or something. But every one of us has come from some kind of family system or formative. Uh, structure. Amen. God's intention, as we saw with marriage, remember this? God's design for Adam and Eve in the garden was that Adam and Eve be a visible symbol or a visible expression of the eternal relationship between Jesus and his church. Who, who remembers what I'm talking about? Okay, a couple. A, cu- a couple. That marriage is temporary. That in the age to come, you will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but you'll be like the angels in heaven. So marriage is not the end-all, be-all of anything, but it's a very important relationship that's meant to express the relationship between Jesus and his church, which is eternal. Well, in a similar fashion, the the parent-child, the family system, is, is designed by God to be a place in which loving fathers and loving mothers express the divine character to children and shape and nurture and affirm we get our identity oftentimes from our father we understand what it is to be comforted and nurtured and instructed oftentimes from our mother we get our conception of what it means to trust someone who sees further than we see even when we disagree so, this instruction of, of Paul to kids, it's, it's built on the verse that's a few above it that says, Do everything in the name of Jesus and give, giving thanks to God the Father. Do everything in Jesus' name. So every every structure, this is very interesting. Then, like, you know, the next few verses are slaves to masters, masters to slaves, which raises a whole topic that I want to give its own message. But suffice to say, Even if the structures of society in which we find ourselves are unjust and not how God intends, the the gospel idea is not take over by force and make the world the way it's supposed to be. That is not the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel is honor Jesus and honor people in the structures of a fallen world as an expression of your life coming from another world. Are you with me? So, for example, Peter says to wives who have... Okay, let me see if I... I'll say this the friendly way. If you happen to be a wife with an ungodly husband, Peter says, win him over without a word. Your conduct, your character. Put up with being mistreated. Now, no, no. please don't hear me saying submit to being physically and emotionally destroyed and abused. I'm not saying that. I'm saying retaliation is outside of the Christian worldview. Payback, vengeance. Suffering wrong as a Christian is so built into the idea of being a Christian because in the midst of you expressing the virtue, the love of Jesus in hard situations, you actually preach the gospel. If sin outside you creates sin inside you, it reveals that you are not yet rooted in the gospel. Who's with me? And so resources from our relationship with Abba are meant to completely transform what's in us. So this is an aside, but I see a lot of us being so rooted in trying to fix the world that we stop having the kind of life and character, because we're rooted in trying to fix the world, we stop having the kind of character that would be good salt, good light, good yeast in the world. So if you're a child, you know, and all the children seem to have run away now to eat their candy, if you're a child... Your assignment during this temporary season of your life is to be so rooted in God that you shine as a light for your parents. But the assignment of honoring your father and mother doesn't stop once you leave the house. And it's not limited by whether your parents are godly or not. So let's say you're an adult and you've moved out of the house. The assignment honor your father and mother. This is one of the commandments God gives in the Old Testament, and Paul says it's the first commandment with a promise, right? Honor your father and mother that what? Who remembers? That your life will be long and it will go well for you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Which means you can flip that. If you, dis, if you, if you grow up learning to dishonor your father and mother, what will happen? You ain't going to live long, apparently. And it won't go well for you. The the, the kinds of things that happen inside of us. See, our society tries to measure right and wrong with with whether I'm hurting anybody else. Well, I ain't hurting anybody, so what's the problem with it? Well, you're ignoring what you're doing to yourself. When When I sit with people and I pray with people and I invite them to forgive those who have hurt them, Oftentimes, I bump into someone saying, I can't forgive, or I'm unwilling to forgive. Now, you tell me, are they going to hurt the other person by holding on to the pain? Will it help the other person? Will it hurt the other person? Who is it going to hurt? It's going to hurt me. It's going to hurt me. And who else is it going to hurt? Everyone connected to them, right? Right? So... The the purpose of this command of honor your father and mother that it might go well with you is not God, I don't think, this is a theory, I don't think it's God saying, hey children, if you won't honor your parents, I will be angry at you and I will seek you out and punish you. That's not what I hear him saying. I hear him giving commands out of love because he knows how life works best. He sees further and clearer than we can see. And the flip side is true, too, for the, for the parents. Fathers, don't exasperate your children that they might be discouraged. There's, there's a way that we parents contend to discipline our kids out of annoyance, not out of love. You're inconveniencing me. You're embarrassing me. You're scaring me. The harshest parenting moments of my life have not been anger rooted in anger. They've been anger rooted in fear. You're scaring me because I'm afraid that if this behavior continues into adulthood, you'll become the kind of person who will ultimately be destroyed by their own sin. And I'm so scared of my child's behavior that I clamp down and I get controlling and mean. Because I am not in a good place. And I am ruled by lies and fears and expectations toward the future. So a parent that doesn't know how to have the resources out of their relationship with the father to recognize and expect sin... How many of you know it's right for you to expect the people around you to sin? Which is why Paul says, make allowance for each other's faults. Mm -hmm. Expect that everyone around you is a human who is imperfect, including you and including your children and including your spouse and children, including parents. And we have to switch the script quite a bit. All right, let me back up. Every one of us came from a family, so I'm going back to the beginning. Every one of us came from a family, and I have found, by my own experience and my experience of praying and talking with many, many people, that if we carry the undealt-with baggage of our childhood along with us into adulthood, it's a heavy weight. And if we carry it into our relationship with God, we bring our distortions and our lies with us, and we have a very hard time relating well to the Father as He really is. In Hebrews chapter 12, there's an instruction. It says, do not, let me just summarize. Don't get offended with God's discipline. Don't get discouraged. Don't get angry at God. Don't get cynical about God when he disciplines you because he disciplines everyone he accepts as a child. It says, endure hardship as discipline and don't get discouraged or take offense. How dare you do this to me? How dare you treat me like this? I thought you loved me. If you loved me, you'd keep this from happening. If you loved them, you'd keep this from happening. You say you're a God of love. It says, don't get offended when God disciplines you, because God disciplines everyone He accepts as a, tr- as a child. It's a sign of Him loving you, and He disciplines you for your good that you might share in His holiness. It says, we've all had earthly parents that disciplined us as they saw fit. I'm quoting Hebrews 12. We've all had earthly parents that disciplined us as they saw fit, But God disciplines us for our good. Notice the difference between the human parents, as they see fit, which might have been way wrong, right? Because they might have been operating out of all sorts of broken systems, broken, broken understandings from their broken family of origin, right? But in other words, your father is like your earthly parents in that they discipline you, but he is unlike your earthly parents in that he disciplines you for your good. It has nothing to do with you being inconvenience to him or scaring him, or angering him. It has everything to do with he wants good things for you and me. Here's what I'm really trying to say. Every one of us has to figure out how we can honor our imperfect parents. And when you're young and in the house, uh, obey them, whether they deserve it or not. And then as we grow old, we still have to figure out how to honor them and sort through the baggage Maybe they gave us really good things. Maybe they really taught us who God the Father is. Maybe they taught us who God the Holy Spirit is, mothers. You know. And I would add this, siblings and friends teach us how to relate to Jesus. Maybe they taught us wrong things. If everyone left you, if everyone abandoned you, you might have an extremely hard time relating to God and feeling secure in his affection. You might... The first promise I heard as a, as a young Christian, I was, was like three in the morning, and I'm seeking God. I'm on my face, but face down, butt up, three in the morning. And you're like, why weren't you sleeping? I don't know. And Jesus came into the basement room, and I was so scared that I thought if I opened my eyes, I would see him there. So I was too scared to open my eyes. It was one of those moments of intense, like, I've been wanting you to meet with me, but now that you're here, I'll be, I will, if I open my eyes, and it's physically Jesus, because that's what I feel. You know how you can feel somebody walk up behind you? you can feel, the air changes. I don't know what it is. You can feel somebody walk up behind you? You can feel it. It's weird. You can feel somebody watching you sometimes before you see that somebody's watching you. Anyway, so Jesus walks into the basement room, and I'm like, oh my word, he's really in front of me, and I am terrified to open my eyes, because if he's really here, I'll just die. I'll just die. That's weird, right? But I was. I was too scared. And as clear as a bell, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I broke weeping. I had no idea why I broke weeping. I don't know. I don't know. How many of you understand yourself? I don't. Do you? I don't know. I don't understand me. But I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I won't abandon you. Boom. I broke. 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 I had no idea I was carrying a heavy weight. I had no idea I was feeling like I had to keep him loving me. I had no idea I was straining and striving to please him. I had no idea I was laboring under a a heavy load of burdens. I had a good dad. I have a good dad. Sometimes you have good parents, but mid-air the messages get translated by an evil one that distorts things and then they land on you as something different than than the sender of the message intended. Do you know what I'm talking about? Carrie grew up in this wonderful family, and she got the impression that wearing a head covering—thank you, Edith, for wearing that today—was required for Christians. So Charles and Edith never taught her that if women don't wear a head covering, they're going to hell. They never—you guys don't believe that, right? But as a little kid, somehow the message landed in Carrie, people who don't wear a head covering go to hell. So sometimes you grow up with godly parents, and the messages still can get picked up and, and messed with. I grew up with wonderful godly parents that were intimate with Jesus. Thanks for letting me pick on you. Wonderful parents that were godly, and yet I grew up with, with a vision of God that was impossible to please. I, my parents were born again. My parents have intimate with Jesus. Now, as at this age, I look back on my childhood And I see the grace and the spirit at work in my parents. I see love from from my dad's side trying to reach me and speak my language. Like he found a pack of cigarettes in the car. And I didn't even know this. My little sister told me this later. That dad would joke and put the cigarette in his mouth and kind of poke fun at me. And then put the pack of cigarettes back in the little thing. Now, I didn't know that. I thought I hid everything from him and he didn't know what I was up to. Mom and dad knew what I was up to and they loved and accepted me and were my friends anyways. They picked their battles. There were some things they said, not in my house. And there were other things they said, you know what? If we are too harsh with him, we'll lose his heart. This verse that we just read. Children, you ought to be honoring your parents. But parents, you ought to be watching to make sure you have a connection with your kids' hearts. Because we need... God's not a God of rules, is He? The rules are only there when you need them. But once you're supposed to graduate out of rules into relationship and trust and fellowship... Who's with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? In some ways, you start your Christian life with, I, I don't care about my will being done. It's only your will. But at some point, he pulls you up off the ground and he says, I no longer call you slaves because my will is actually in you. You so internalized my values that my values have become your values. Now you can ask whatever you wish in my name and it will be granted you. So on our side, it's, it's that attitude of children, obey your parents. On his side, it's, I'm seeking connection with your heart. I want my values to get in you. But there's a process in which we can't see as far as he can. And I don't care what kind of godly home you grew up in. Like Dan Moeller says, we were homeschooled in the wrong home. Because the enemy sows seeds and twists things. And we must be born again. Here's what's... That was my sort of prepared chat. Right, now here's the stuff I, that was on my heart. I'm a little bit concerned about the state of the church. That's an understatement. Should I say that more strongly? Sometimes I'm downright heartbroken at the state of the church of Jesus because the Father's heart has always been for fellowship with, with His people. He, he has done everything to restore us back to Genesis 2. He has done everything, everything to restore us back to face-to-face with God. No limits, no boundaries. And, and His presence is 100% available now. The veil is torn. We can be Mary sitting at His feet listening to what He says. We can be the disciples who abide in Him and bear much fruit. We don't have to strain and strive to make something happen. We can believe the truth and enter into the fullness of what is here. Heaven starting now. And it seems to me like we're not interested in that as much as other agendas. I was taking a run the other night and the Lord said, uh, "I, I want you to finish your two miles and then I want you to stop and I want you to sit and I want you to simply enjoy the fullness of my spirit. See, I'm all the way in, you guys. I'm not under law. He's not measuring me. He's not judging me. He's not looking at me and seeing how I line up with his commands. That's all gone. I don't live under that slave mindset anymore. I'm all the way in. I am too. So Jesus hung out, right? With, we, we find this Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. It says that the sinners, the Pharisees and tax collectors, the sinners loved to, to draw near to Jesus to hear what he was saying. And this made the Pharisees really mad and the scribes and the teachers of the law. See, the mindset of someone who's in religion, who's still being homeschooled in the wrong home, so to speak, they're in the house, but they are not, they're not have fellowship with the heart. The mindset of that person is to be confused and, and, and frustrated because they... How do I say this the right way? God's way is to accept you and love you and embrace you as you are, And give you full access to his affection right now, at your lowest point, when you don't deserve it. And if you can't deserve it at your low, I'm sorry. If you can't receive it at your lowest point, you will always be attempting to either defend against it until you think you're worthy to allow it in. In other words, you disagree with his gospel. He shouldn't love me, and I'm going to have to. So now. and you get this mindset, man. People talk about, I gotta, I'm going to clean myself up and then I'll get back to church. You're never going to clean yourself up enough to feel worthy by your own standards. Just, just call what it is. I'm bankrupt. Just put all your chips on the table and say, I fold. This whole project of trying to be worthy is... is, is, a, is... And, and Jesus eats with sinners, which is a covenantal meal. It proves he's accepted us. It proves... And the Pharisees saw that and they knew what that meant. They knew what the meal meant. And they're going, Jesus, if you accept them like they are, they won't change. Wow, that's a lie, isn't it? The truth is, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to have a meal with you today. Zacchaeus comes out and three seconds later he says, actually it was probably hours later, he says, I'm going to pay back everyone I stole from five times what I took. And, and Jesus says, surely salvation has come to this house. Now, how did it go? Did he give him a stern talking to and say, hey, listen, so help me. If you don't change, I'm going to take you to hell. I'm going to send you to the lake of fire. If you don't quit it, stop it. Is that what he did? I mean, I don't know. It's not written, is it? We don't know. We have to speculate based on what else we see Jesus doing. How many times did he heal the sick? Did he, did he say, hey, listen, you got to stop sinning or I'm not going to heal you. No, what he said after he healed him was, "Go and sin no more." Go and sin. Isn't that interesting? So here's how it works in God's family, and here's how it works. It should work with godly parents, by the way. You name your children. You love your children. They're babies. They can't do anything for you. You love them. Not because they earn something or work for something or prove something or because they've done well at representing you. You just love them. And then you train them to grow up and be be what they already are. To live out what they really are. Now, children, the temptation is to become offended and self-willed and struggle and I know better than you and it's not fair and all the stuff. And it's a training ground, isn't it, child? Isn't childhood a training ground? If you can honor your parents who you disagree with, maybe you can honor and obey and trust God when you don't see as clear as He does. The biggest challenge I see with Americans is we're individualistic, we're proud, and we're selfish. We think we know better than anyone else. So the idea of submitting to a God that we disagree with, well, what we do to fix that is we just make up our own God who agrees with us. We find a church of people who will tell us what we already think. I'm going to find a church where the preacher says what I already think, but says it better than I could say it. Don't tell me what I don't think and don't tell me what I don't want to hear. And so sin, the basic problem, gets left intact and actually strengthened. And Jesus says this. He says to the Pharisees that when you're done, you travel over land and sea to make a single convert and when you're done, they're twice the son of hell as they were when you found them. Which means churches that think they're saving souls from hell are making them more fit for hell. I'm not saying all churches, I'm saying. When you root people in the wrong tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, experts in judging what is right and wrong and then measuring yourself and performing it, and Jesus is a whole different approach. Come and be embraced by my love that you can't earn and learn from the Father who you really are In Matthew 12, I read this week, no one knows the Son but the Father. Now, if that's true of Jesus, I'll bet you that's true of you. And if no one knows Jesus, who he really is, except his Heavenly Father, then who can tell him who he is? Notice when he says, Who do people say that I am? They pretty much got it all wrong. Who do people say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist. Some people say this. Some people say a great prophet. Some people... But who do you say that I am? Simon says. You're the Christ. Who has revealed it to, to Simon? The Father. So the only one who can name you is the Father. And the only time that you are called to listen to people naming you is when they are speaking from the Father. It is imperative, in other words, for us to return to Genesis 2 walking with the Father in the cool of the day. It's imperative that we hear the voice of God in Genesis 3 saying, and, and God called to the man saying, where are you? Where are you? And of course they come with their fig leaves. It's very humorous. And what are our fig leaves? It's our explanations and our justifications and our caveats and our yeah, but I meant well, and yeah, but look, I'm doing better now, and look, I've stopped doing this, and it's our self-salvation projects to, I have to measure up, I have to earn, I have to perform. And, and he, but he's here. He didn't move. He didn't shift. Sin didn't change God. It changed us. The cross is not about paying God back for the wrongs we've done. It's about God removing the sin and the shame from us. You know. And so I'm just a little concerned because the spirit of real Christianity is joy and hope and peace and love. It's it's a fullness. It's living from the fullness toward the brokenness of the world. And I hear so many distracting focuses when there's a feast of of love to be had. Why? 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 Why the penchant to run back to another voice, another thing, another project, to prove something? A few seasons ago, I had a hard interaction with my earthly dad, who is fantastic, and we've talked it out, and we're good. But he said some things that hurt me. And if you said, OK, Tim, now what's probably going to happen inside your heart now that your dad has expressed disapproval of you? I said, well, probably what I'll do is try to prove him wrong. And inadvertently, I'll probably push really hard in my spiritual life. Sure enough, I started yelling in my sermons. I started trying to be more for God, because I'll show Him. Now, I didn't do it consciously. In fact, consciously, I knew that that could be an unfortunate trigger process. And even though I knew better, I still couldn't bypass the circuitry because the head and the heart are not actually in the same in the relationship we wish they were. Our souls are like an inner person that it's our job to take care of, and they won't just quickly agree with us or obey. One time, one of my friends said something so powerful that it permanently altered my whole life. I was trying to be okay, because as a pastor, I don't want to put a burden on the flock. I want to help the flock lift off their burdens and get you guys back to a state of joy, because I'm fully convinced that you, in a state of joy, is your best you. That's your optimum state in which you, the you that God created to live fueled by and powered by love, is moving. So my goal is to get you back to joy. So sometimes what I've noticed is I don't want to struggle in front of you even though I need you. You know the Bible says we need each other, right? Sometimes we sing stuff in our songs like, all we need is you. And we look in our Bible and go, it is not good for the man to be alone. And we look in 1 Corinthians 12 and it says, the hand can't say to the eye or whatever, I don't need you. Oh, I need is you, Lord. Translation, I wish I were so invulnerable to people that I wouldn't have to hurt. And he says, that's not love. Love is making yourself vulnerable to hurt. Jesus intentionally chose the 12, knowing what they would do, knowing how they would each fail him, deny him. One of them full-on betray him and he was led by the Spirit in his selection. When you and I do something like that, we go back and we look at our life choices and say, I was such a fool. If I could do it over again, I would have cut them off and avoided all that pain. That must not have been God. And I go, well, if the Spirit that led Jesus to pick those 12 is operating in your life, surely his goal is not pain avoidance, right? His goal is you dying on a cross for the sins of the world. And you go, what in the world? Who do you think we are? Well, Paul said he fills up in his flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of the church. We don't pay for the sins of the world, but we walk in that same model that expresses death in us, life in others. Now, how in the world can we sustain that? Won't that kill us? Yeah. Yeah. And God will raise us again and again and again, after every sin, after every betrayal, because that's how the gospel works. We try to get in there and figure out the way. If I'm led by the Spirit, I'll be able to go through this whole thing and not get hurt. We're going there. But the invitation to the fellowship is wide open, guys. There's nothing blocking the Holy Spirit from your life on His end. Do I say that again? There is nothing blocking the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your and my life on His end. And the only thing blocking it on my end that I can perceive of is my unwillingness to receive. It's not my sin blocking it. We've already established He's done everything to deal with sin. The answer is not, get away from me, I'm a sinful man, let me earn this thing first. The answer is, okay, I need to let you into this. In the inner, are we okay? Yes. In the inner healing prayer work that I do with people, sometimes I find a shame point, some area of their life that they've done a thing that they're so ashamed of that they don't even want to think about it. And I'll say, can we go back there in your mind? And can you ask God the question, where were you then? Because we accuse God of that. Where were you then? That's great. That's a good question. It's the wrong spirit. How about we turn it into a real question? Where were you then? And let him talk because he was there and he was good. What was in your heart for me then? And You think it was always anger. Sometimes it was grief. What did you want to say to me then, God? And what I found is when we can learn to let him in to those things... They stop having the power over us. Yeah. This whole this whole Christian life is about truth making us free. I've talked with people, and, and they say, and I say, what did what did you learn going through that hard thing? And they got a list of things, and not one thing on the list was taught them by Jesus. I learned you can't trust people. I learned that groups, and groups of humans in more than 10 can never be trusted. I learned that no matter how much you pour into people, they'll never pour back. I learned that no matter how many times I try my hardest in relationships, they'll always leave me in the end. It's a whole list of things that Jesus didn't teach them. Life taught them. And they're all based on facts, but they're not capital T truth, because capital T truth is what Jesus is saying. Which leads me to another topic prophecy. A lot of people think that seeing in the spiritual realm is prophecy. It's not. Prophecy is saying what God is saying. Right? If I have the gift of discernment, discerning of spirits, and I walk into a room and I go, oh, there's codependence right there. Oh, there's this. Oh, there's abandonment. Oh, there's uh, porn addiction. There's whatever. And then I go and start telling people, this is what that is. I could justify that and say, I'm in 1 Corinthians 14. I could say, oh yeah, you know, because it says the secrets of their hearts will be laid bare and they'll fall down in your presence and say, God is really among you. And I'll think I'm prophesying because I'm operating in a spiritual gift, but none of it is prophecy. It's all just me seeing, saying what I see in the spiritual realm. It's baby. It's childish. It's putting a power tool in the hands of a small child and having him destroy the house. Prophecy is actually seeing past the spiritual realm to God's heart and speaking His heart, His voice, His call over them. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. Children, that's the kind of parents. I want. That's what I want to be for you, buddy. I'm not, I'm not all that great at it, and you know that. But my goal is can I, can I somehow, and by the way, that means I, when I know I'm wrong, I should apologize often. Please apologize to your kids all the time when, it, when you make mistakes. It's really important kids see parents apologizing and learning how to receive grace. It's really important. Where are we even at in this talk? He's just so much better than we think he is, guys. The gospel's better than we think it is. Man, if I could just kill the internet for a couple decades, it would be so helpful. I'm pretty convinced the church has, a, has several autoimmune disorders operating. You know what I mean, yeah. It's where our body reacts to something that's not really a threat and then starts to eat itself. And so then our reaction to a misperceived threat is, is actually the, a bigger problem than the threat, like dust in the air, and suddenly my body decides, hey, how about if we just shut... I cleaned the bathroom with citrus cleaner the other day. My body shut down. I know, I said, this could kill Kate, because it will. She's got a citrus allergy. And uh, it won't. It will never kill you. That will never happen in Jesus' name. Uh, I have crazy thoughts like that when I'm driving, like just like driving the car off into a pole, and then I just smack the steering wheel and say, Jesus' name, never. You know, random crazy thoughts. Is it an ADHD thing? Probably. Well, I pray about it. And I'm unmedicated, as you can see. Um, (laughs) I like it that way. I lost the whole train of thought. I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Where was I? <laughs> autoimmune disorders. Yeah, I feel like the church has at least several autoimmune disorders. And, you know, and, and he told me this so many years ago, and it's still so true. You know, I get this picture of the church trying to, trying to uh, get ourselves dolled up and make ourselves a, a presentable. We're looking in the mirror, and we're, and we're not happy with what we're seeing. We're just not as good looking as we want to be and the makeup's not doing it for us and we're frustrated and we're just wishing that we were better than we were. Please don't feel condemned, I'm just saying. And, and the Lord spoke to me and he said, my people are looking in mirrors and they're not allowed to look in those mirrors. There's only one mirror that you're allowed to look in. It's your reflection in my eyes. Because in, in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what happened is our values then begin to define us. Before the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if God wanted to tell us how, whether something was good or bad, we in relationship, we'd walk it out together. See, cuz they weren't perfect in the beginning. Well, if God doesn't want us to do it. Then can't the devil be telling you? They weren't, you are correct. There is another voice. Yeah. My face, I'm always criticizing it. I just sit. "Don't do it." <laughs> <I know> it. <laughs> but they weren't perfect in the beginning. They were innocent. Your kids don't know they're naked when they're really young, do they? You wish they knew and you wish they'd quit running out in the front yard and freaking the neighbors out, but and why don't you put better locks in the front door, Tim? Anyway, they don't know because they're not self-conscious yet. And, and that's how we were with God in the beginning. Guys, that's what the gospel's meant to restore to us. The place of stop, no more, no more of that. We're back in Genesis 2. That's what righteousness is. And the righteousness is not just there so we can go to heaven when we die. I feel like I'm, 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 this is all I ever talk about, isn't it? Because Jesus isn't the way to heaven. He's the way back to the Father. Because heaven's not a place with streets of gold. It's his presence. If you take away the gold, it's still heaven. And if you got there and somehow the devil was sitting in his chair and he said, ha-ha, suckers, bet you didn't expect this one. I won. Now you got five minutes to decide. You want to stay here with the streets of gold and the pretty harps and the white clouds and all that and the nice things? Plenty of food for everyone. Or you want to go burn with Christ in that lake of fire? Five minutes to decide, suckers. And some people literally would say, you know, I guess it stinks. I feel real bad for Jesus burning in hell. With those misguided martyrs, but I guess I got to stay here because their version, their vision of heaven, is a place with nice things. But heaven in real life is not about what I get; it's about who I get. Heaven is the place where those who've been transformed by the Father's love can't help but be. What if heaven and hell were the same place, but the sort of creature you became made the light and the love and the power intolerably painful. He is a consuming fire after all. And what if you were the kind of person who in life had been so transformed by that love that you became the kind of creature that his presence is your native environment? How do you think demons responded when Jesus showed up? Were they like, yes, finally you, they were terrified just to be around him it says he'll destroy the evil one with the breath of his mouth and the what splendor of his arrival think about that i don't think we need to be giving much worry no i'll put re- that's that's an understatement we do not give, need to give one calorie of worry to the end times our doctrine of the end times is happy I can't wait to see him. That's why it's called the blessed hope. I can't wait to see him. I don't give one tiny... Brace yourself, Tim. Calm it down. Say it better. I don't care about the Antichrist or the mark of the beast. I'm interested in the mark of the Lamb. You don't spot a counterfeit by studying a counterfeit. You study the real. Walk in him. There's no need to fear. The gospel wins. We win. It's all... I'm not saying it's all good yet. It will be all good. Stick close to Jesus. Do what he says. Live in his love. But run away from religion, friends. I had i I'm going to finish with this. I feel like I needed to get some of this off my chest. As soon as I came back from REACH this last week, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was working on a construction crew. Working on a construction crew. And uh, the whole crew was driven by an energy that a lot of people would have mistaken for a passion for excellence. But it wasn't a passion for excellence. There was an anxiety and a tension. People were irritable and fussy with each other. And the boss that we were all working for was Vincent D'Onofrio, an actor, who is in the Netflix show, oh, come on, the blind guy who wears the red suit and he has the sticks. Daredevil. The Catholic guy uh, who is blind, but he can see through echolocation, and so he's fighting crime and standing up for righteousness and all this. Kingpin, Vincent D'Onofrio's character. It's a terrifying job. Uh, he loves his city and he's willing to hurt anyone who will get in, in the way of his vision for the city. And so, Vincent D'Onofrio's kingpin character is in my dream as the boss, and I've been warned by the other workers. Again, the atmosphere on the job site is tense. It, when, the king, when the boss shows up. G- get, stay out of his way, stay busy, and don't make mistakes. And I said, oh, this is intense. I spilled paint on something, and another worker got mad at me and started angrily pouring paint thinner on my hands to help me wash it off. And, and I could see in his eyes that he kind of wished he could also light my hands on fire using the paint thinner. There was not, he looked like he was helping me. But there was hate in his heart. And I thought, this is messed up. The kingpin finally shows up. The boss shows up on the job site. And I sensed he will murder me if I offend him in some small way. And they won't find my body. At the end of the dream, I realized, you don't put in your two weeks notice with this, with this boss. You don't try to deal with him. He will kill you. And I, at the end of the dream, I snuck out to my car. I started it up, and I drove off the job site, and I never looked back. And then I woke up. And I woke up saying, what was that all about, Lord? And I leave it to you to figure out what the applications are to your situation. Because that wrong kingdom, that wrong voice, that wrong spirit that drives us takes many shapes depending on your unique calling. But don't reason with it. Don't deal with it, don't live under it. don't make. Sneak it off. Sneak off the job site, walk away and never look back. Because you were made for freedom. You were made for peace. You were made for love. Your native environment is love.